But once again, Meadowland, we are glad you are here. Uh, knowing what you drove through and what you walked through to get here, I, I firmly believe that you are here on purpose. Uh, it is not an accident. Uh, if you're not sure what brought you here this morning, just know that, at least I, I believe that, that you are here for a reason. I'm glad that you are. Um, I, I really do hope that you've already been made to feel at home, that you've been made to feel welcome here, because depending on how warm it gets, you might be here for a while today. Um, which brings up the issue of, of the parking lot. We, we've, we've hit on this a little bit. I do want to keep hitting on it, partly because the parking lot keeps fighting back. Uh, but we are aware of the issue that, that our parking lot can be uh, at certain times of the year, this being one of them with the, uh, the freeze, the thaw, the freeze, the thaw, the, the kind of spring-like weather in the middle of winter. Um, every Sunday, uh, my family has watched me checking the weather. And I'm, I'm not a big guy to check the weather, but every, actually Saturday night, uh, I'm checking the weather. I, I'm praying for like sub-zero temperatures. Like, what, you crazy? I mean, it's, why, why, why do you want that? And I had one of my family members say, yeah, I see, I, I get it now. <laughs> I see why you want it frozen every Sunday morning. Um, so what I want to communicate to you guys this morning on this is, um, one, this is kind of one of the, the worst of the worst this time of year. Uh, with the plowing and then the thawing and, and all that. Uh, we're aware of the issue that it is. Uh, we've already been working behind the scenes to bring about a remedy to it. Uh, one of the remedies that we're pursuing is putting in uh, some upgraded parking, whether it be a, a gravel parking lot or even being able to go uh, to the point of asphalt with oil being at the price it is, uh, that might be something that's within our reach. Um, so next, actually this coming week, I should be getting the final plans that will allow us to apply for some permits and to start uh, getting an idea of what pricing would look like. And then the next step for that will be to start working on the funding of it. And here's what I would ask today uh, from us, is that we would just commit to prayer um, for the, the, the funding that would come in and that the plans and the permits would all come together. Uh, sometimes when, when churches do uh, big prayer initiatives, they have something you can take home and, and put on your desk and be a reminder. Uh, so if you want to grab a cup and get a, a lump of mud, you're more than welcome to. You can put that on your desk and be praying about the parking lot. If you want to grab a rock and wash it, that's fine too. But uh, on this whole issue of the parking lot, I also need to hit on two things that, that we believe here at Meadowland. The first one is this, is that we believe that God is working. We believe he was working long before Meadowland ever existed. We believe that God will continue to work in and through the people of Meadowland, in and through his people in other local churches throughout the world. We believe that God is working and he will continue to work no matter how muddy or how much of a mess that parking lot becomes. And so we'll continue to, to, to seek to see lives changed and disciples made no matter what obstacles may come our way. We will not be sidetracked by that. We will not be uh, um, hamstrung. We'll not say, oh, we can't do church today because the parking lot is too muddy. That will not happen. But we also know and believe that environments matter. And so as much as we are able, we're going to continue to seek to remove any offense that would keep someone from coming into this place and, and engaging with God's people in hearing the true, hearing the lovely, uh, and hearing, honestly, the offensive message of the gospel. We, we understand that the gospel can be offensive to say that we believe that, that we are separated from God and there is only one way to be in relationship with him that he's provided, and that is through his son, Jesus. And some would say that that's an offensive statement, and maybe it is, and if it is, then that's okay. Um, honestly, I find it an amazing statement. I find it an amazing truth that God in his infinite love would say, hey, I want to provide a way for you to be in relationship with me. And that he sought us out by sending his son, as opposed to what we see in so many other false religions where you have to work your way to God. But God's like, hey, I know you can't do it. 
And so I've made a way for you to be in a relationship with me. And that way is through my son, Jesus. So that's why here at Meadowland, we, we talk about Jesus a lot. He is uh, the, the reason we exist, because he claimed to be God and he proved it. We believe that he was the son of God. So we believe that God is working, and we believe also that environments matter. And so uh, on one hand, uh, a muddy parking lot doesn't matter. It's not going to stop the word of God. On the other hand, a muddy parking lot's a pain in the butt, and it matters. And so uh, please walk with us as we kind of hold both those hand in hand and, and move forward and see what God is going to do here uh, in our community and in our lives as a church. Uh, so all I have to say, we are truly glad that you are here. Um, if anyone does have any issues getting out, please just flag down one of our, our uh, parking lot attendants. We'll definitely uh, get some manpower behind you to, to kind of help get you into a place. You know, if you want, you know, we'll even back out your car for you and pull it up to the front so you don't have to walk through the mud. Uh, just let us know how we can help with you in that and let us walk with you. Well, this morning we're going to continue to learn more about the story of Abraham. Last week we talked about his story a little bit. We uh, first met him when his name was Abram, and then God had changed his name to Abraham, we find out. And so uh, at this point in the story, his name is fully Abraham. Uh, and there's a true and better story to be told when God is involved. But when God is involved in, in the life of someone, there's a true and better story that then plays out in and through their life. And when we learn about those who have gone before us and how they walked with God, the, the neat thing about that is it then teaches us about God. We can see something about the character and the nature of God. We can learn something about how he interacts and engages with his people when we look at those who have gone before us. We can be encouraged by that when we see the ways that they fell short and yet God still worked in and through them. We see their shortcomings, we see their flaws, we see their struggles and their challenges, and yet we see that God used them in a mighty way. And it gives us hope as we look at our own shortcomings and our own flaws and our own challenges. So we can learn a bit about who God is, and we can be encouraged by their story. We looked, how, looked about the fact that Jesus is a true and better Abraham. We started in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God is sending him out. He says, Go from what you know to be home, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those you bless. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are some amazing promises that God made to Abraham. And so Abraham was called to leave behind the familiar and go and be a blessing on all people. And we saw how Jesus is really uh, the true and better Abraham because Jesus left the comfort and the familiar of heaven to go and be a blessing on all people. One of Abraham's main blessings was that the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, came through his bloodline. But then we also see that Jesus was the true and better Abraham and that it was in Jesus that we find salvation, redemption, and eternal life when we trust in him as our Lord and Savior. We looked at this three-part promise that God made to Abraham, right? He promised, I will bless you and also be a blessing to all people through you. He says, I, I will give you a nation. There will be a people that come from your bloodline. Even at this point in the story, if you remember, uh, he was already getting old in his years. Past the, the, the age of childbearing uh, in our society, in our culture, and his, his wife was barren as far as they knew. And then you get this final promise, then I'll, I'll give you land. I'll give you a blessing, some offspring, and land. So what does Abraham do? We saw how Abraham stepped out in faith. 
on this call that God had on his life and how we can learn from that, how we can be encouraged by that, how we ourselves can step out in faith and what God calls us to do. Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. That's where they were when uh, they finally followed God's call on his life. Imagine if every time we understood the word of God that we responded that way. Okay, God said this, all right, I'm going to go. Imagine if our kids responded that way. That would be a, a beautiful thing. Well, today we're going to learn about a story of sacrifice. As we prepare to kind of look at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, I want to ask this question of what would you be willing to give up as you follow God? What would you be willing to sacrifice in your pursuit of God, in your obedience to following the word of God? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just checking out who Jesus is. You're not even sure what you think about God and church and all that. Okay, well, maybe phrase the question this way. What would you be willing to give up for anybody? What we're going to see as we look at this concept of of sacrifice is the key to it all has to do with relationship. It has to do with our relationship with God or our relationship with whoever it is that we're we're sacrificing something for or whoever it is that we're giving something up for. Let Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever been in love? Husbands, put your hand up. Just seriously. Yeah, okay, there you go. That's a free one. Um, wives can be proud. Oh, he said it. Um, have you ever been in love? I mean, imagine those early days where, where you would do anything. You would do the, the, the silly. So when I was pursuing my wife, we were dating, uh, she got a flat tire. We think it was someone caused her tire to go flat. We actually think it was someone who got the wrong car because there was a guy at college who had a car similar to hers and she parked in front of the guy's dorm and now she ends up with a flat so she's got a flat tire. And I'm like, hey, I can help you out with that. Yeah, I got a car, so I'll take your tire off and I'll put it in my car and we, you know, I'll drive to a place where we can get it fixed and you come with me. And, and so I could have picked a place two minutes down the street, but you know, I, I lived an hour away and I, I knew the area an hour away. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know a guy just down the street. So I take her for an hour drive to go we get the tire fixed and an hour drive back. I mean, I, I would do anything. I am not an athletic man. It's just not, you know, my, my friends call me the, the, the most... Uh, athletic non-athletes i'm willing to try but i'm not very good uh and yet i took up rollerblading just so i could put myself random places around campus where, where i thought she might be now okay that's not stalking try it's not stalking i didn't do anything weird and creepy beyond that um i, I just i put my I, I would sacrifice my time to try to have an, a, you know to be engaged with this woman to, to, to run into her and have a conversation i would do anything Maybe you can relate to that time when you were in love where you, you, you'd be willing to sacrifice your time, your finances, your, your energy uh, for that person. Do you have a sibling? Now, you might fight at times. You might kind of have it out. But I imagine for most of us and for most of our siblings, there's, there's all kinds of things you would sacrifice for them. See, siblings are, are so weird because you, you can look at some of your siblings and say, you know what, if it wasn't for the fact that we're related, we probably never would have hung out. You're this way, I'm that way. You're that, this, and I'm this. And we just, we don't have many common ties except mom and dad are the same. Or maybe just mom, or maybe just dad, if you have step-siblings or half-siblings. But for whatever it is, you're my sibling. I would sacrifice for you. I would give of my time. I would be there for you. I would do things for my sister that I wouldn't do for others. Or I would do it more quickly for my sister that I wouldn't do for others. Same even with my step-siblings. 
And I haven't even known them as long as I have my sister. You ever dropped everything to go be at a friend's side where a friend was in need? Well, they got a flat tire in the middle of the interstate or, or they're going to meet you for lunch and they ran out of gas. And they go, hey, I'll, I'll come pick you up and I'll get you gas. And have you ever gone out of your way and sacrificed something for a friend? I got to imagine we've all been there before where we were willing to give something up because of the relationship with the person that we were in, right? So I want you to think about this morning is where is your relationship with God? Because as we learn about the story of Abraham and Isaac and we see the sacrifice that Abraham is asked to make, at first, it's like, what in the world is he doing? But as we begin to understand his relationship with God, we can see how he's able to obey the word of God. And that's my heart here for you this morning and for myself this morning as well, is that we would grow in our relationship of, of, with God and our understanding of who he is so that we can then walk with him a little closer and, and know what that looks like and be equipped to do just that. So God is calling us to live a life of sacrifice specifically to see lives changed and disciples made as he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. So I call you to examine your relationship with God this morning. Do you know him? Do you believe what he says? For some of you, just coming to a place of saying, I believe you exist might, might be your next step. Maybe it's, hey, I believe you, I know you exist and I'm not sure how to get to know you. And so maybe those are some of your next steps is how do I get to know God through reading his word and through engaging in fellowship at church? For some of us, we know him but there's things he says that we don't like. And so we just say, I'm not sure if I believe that, because if I say I believe that, then I have to listen and act. Let's get into our story here. In Genesis chapter 21, we finally see about, read about the birth of Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old when his son Isaac is born. And this is the son of promise. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and actually open up to Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be this morning, but we need to kind of build off of Genesis chapter one, 21 first. Uh, so Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be starting in verse 1. You can use the Bibles in front of you. If you want to go digital, turn on your Bible. That's awesome. Whatever it takes to get the Word of God in front of you is a good thing. If you, if you know someone that needs a Bible or if you need one, please take one of the ones that we have in the seats in front of you or uh, underneath the seat and call it your own. Uh, highlight it. Put notes in it. Um, Go ahead and take that for yourself. So we read about in Genesis chapter 1, the birth of Isaac, uh, and we see that all the promises that God has made to Abraham hinge on his son, right? This promise of a blessing, this promise of land, this promise of, of a nation, it all hinges on his, on his heritage, on his legacy, on, on that which will come after his time, right? And so it all hinges on God providing a son to him in his old age to his barren wife, through his barren wife. And so the son Isaac is born, and this is the son of promise. It's not just, hey, we finally have a child, but there's so much wrapped up in who Isaac is. Everything about Abraham's life focused on this promised son. It's kind of like, if you're familiar with the story of, of the Jewish people, everything about the Jewish people's life was focused on the promised Savior. Now, we would say that we believe that promised Savior was Jesus, but everything about their life, all that they would do was moving towards, looking forward to when the Messiah would come, when the Savior would come. In the same way, Abraham hears these promises of God. He's looking forward to the birth of his son, Isaac, and now that son is there. It's in his arms and that's Genesis chapter 21. Then we get to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, some things had, had taken place. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, when you first read that, this is your first time even hearing this story or seeing that text. You might be like, Steve, where are we going this morning? Well, is, there, is this some kind of like figurative illustration? When he, when he says go and offer him as a burnt offering, what he's basically telling Abraham to do is to go to a place where God's going to lead him to build an altar, build a campfire of sorts, to take his son, bind his son, place his son on this altar, kill his son, and then to set it ablaze. That's what God's calling Abraham to do. In this point in history, in our culture, we read this and say, this is crazy. This is, wait, what's God like? How do we get our head around this? Well, I don't know if this helps soften it a little bit, but first of all, in Abraham's time, human sacrifice was something that would have been maybe a little more familiar. Not commonplace necessarily. Definitely not something that, that God had called people to do. But something that wouldn't have been so out of left field that he's just like, you want, you want me to what? But even if it was something that was commonplace in Abraham's day, there's still a place where I'm sure Abraham had this moment of, what, what, say that again? What are you asking me to give up? Because he knew who Isaac was. He knew Isaac was the son of promise, that all God had promised, all that God had said was coming Abraham's way was wrapped up in Isaac. And so he's on one hand trying to believe God when God said, here's all these promises I'm making to you and they're going to come through Isaac. But on the other hand, he's trying to believe God when God's saying, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And so Abraham, you've got to imagine, is struggling through this. He's asking him to give up everything. And some of you who are familiar with the story might pause and say, hang on, Steve, is this one of those contradictions in the Bible saying, yeah, I want you to give up your one and only son. But Isaac wasn't Abraham's one and only son, right? Because uh, before Isaac was born, uh, God had given Abraham these promises and uh, you know, his wife's not having a baby yet and they're getting you know, close to being 100 years old. And so all of a sudden Abraham's like, okay, well, God must want me to take things into my own hands and do it my way. And so Sarah, his wife, is like, why don't you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, and, and have a child with her? And then that way, God's promises can be fulfilled. And, and so he does, and they have Ishmael. And God's like, what, what's going on here? Uh, this is not the promise. This is not how I said this was going to happen. It will be with you and your wife, Sarah. You will have a son. And, and, and that's where the promise will, will be fulfilled through. And so the son Ishmael and his, his mother Hagar are, are sent off prior to this point in the story. And so at one point, you could say, yes, at, at the point of the story that we're there, he really only has the one son. Ishmael and Hagar have already been sent off. In essence, hey, you know what? You're not part of the family anymore. Go on your own way. So you could say, yeah, it, it is still true that this is his one and only son. But we'll also go back to the Hebrew and we see that the word there that translates as only also has a, a connotation of, of special, of unique. In essence, God is confirming your promised son that all this will be fulfilled through. This unique son that's going to come, that's what I'm asking you to give up. So does Abraham believe the word of God? Now that's really where he stands, right? Does he believe God? God, you've given me this promise, and I have given me this command. I don't see how they connect. See, the present problems appear to oppose the providential promise abraham's current problems of having been called by god to go and sacrifice his son appeared to go against the providential promise that god has given him so i think we can relate to this every time we hear a challenging word from god 
As we read through the scriptures, as we read through the Bible, understand what God calls for us in our lives, I think we can see, okay, God's asking me to sacrifice something. God's asking me to give up something. Maybe it's even something that I love, that I, I see as holy. Maybe something I, I believe is good. But I feel like God's asking me to sacrifice this and give it up. But God has made promises to me as well. We see promises that God's made to all people in, in, in Scripture. And they seem to kind of contradict sometimes. What do I do? So maybe you can relate to where Abraham is a bit. Let me give you a few examples of that. Here's one possible situation. Maybe you, you have some financial challenges that you're going through right now. Maybe you're facing foreclosure or have gone through foreclosure, and as a result, that's had some repercussions in your life. Maybe it's a, a repossession of something you've bought. Maybe there are overdue bills uh, as a result of uh, poor choices you've made or simply uh, as a result of, of um, hardship that you've had to endure, uh, medical bills maybe, or, or a loss of job. Maybe you have no or low income for all kinds of different reasons, whether it was uh, your own poor choices or, again, just hardship that has been uh, something you've had to live through. Well, Philippians 4.19 would be a promise we could say is from God that would speak into this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God, you've promised to provide all that we need. Then you pull out that stack of bills that, that you're not sure how you can pay. And you're like, God, I'm not sure how these can go hand in hand. And all of a sudden we dig into God's word and we see a call to be generous. We see a call uh, to provide, not only for our own, but provide and care for others, even to a point of, of sacrificially, how we're called to, to bring an offering of our first fruits to God. Well, God, you're calling me to live this with my finances, but I got all these issues and struggles I'm going through, and, 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 but you promised that you would provide for me, so how do I put all that together and, and know how to take a step forward? And those can be some challenging situations at times. I say, well, what does God really call me to go and do? Let me give you another example. Maybe there's some relational struggles you're having in life right now. Maybe you're married and, and you're not sure you want to be anymore. Maybe you're not sure your spouse wants to be anymore. Or, or you're going through impasses. Maybe you both want to make it work, but you just feel like you're hitting a wall every time. Maybe you have others who are dependent on you, whether it, it's... Uh, a sick relative or a friend or uh, children and, and there's relational strife right now. Maybe you, you live with a roommate or you have people that, you, that live under the same house and there's conflict and you're not sure how to live at peace. You're not even sure how to salvage the relationship. Maybe it's not at home. Maybe it's at work where there's all kinds of conflict and an issue going on with a boss or a coworker. When we look at Romans 8.28, and we have a promise from God, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Imagine, if you're not already there, being in insignificant relational strife. And open up your Bible, looking for a word from God. God, how would I go and, and deal with this issue? And coming across Romans 8, 28, and say, we read this, that know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It, it may even cause you to question, do, do I love God then? Because I feel like all these things are just falling apart, so God promises to work all things for my good, but I can't see how that's happening right now. And we struggle through these things. And then we come across other passages that call us to go live a certain way in relation to these relational strains. If your strains are in a marriage, we see this call to, to be 
one, for the two to become one. To honor our spouse through loving them through service, through submission. Maybe your, your relational struggles are someone who's in authority over you. And we see God's word calls us to submit to our authorities. Maybe it's someone, a friend or, or, or a roommate. And we see God's word calls us to submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's struggle with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And we see God's word calls us to sacrifice for the sake of others. Mark 35 would say, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So God, we see, God you're calling us to, to sacrifice and, and to give up our life, but you're also saying that you'll work for the good of those who love you. And so there are times where we can't always see what God's doing. God, you've made this promise to us, and I'm going through this challenge that it's going to be difficult to, to obey you. So it really comes down to, do we believe God? Do we trust him? When things look to be counterintuitive, when they look like they, don't, they can't go hand in hand, God, you've given me this, this son of promise, but now you're calling me to sacrifice him. Abraham had to come to that question. Do I believe God? I think a common response sometimes when we get a difficult word about following God, about walking with him, whether it be, you know, we're reading through God's word and, and we see a command, and, hey, I'm, that's something I'm not living up to. Maybe it's a friend that, that reminds us of who God is and what he's like, and we see, man, that's... that's that's, that'd be a hard thing to live out. I think a lot of times when we're convicted of things in our life, one of the responses that we have is, but, but God wants me to be happy, right? And we use that to try and justify our actions that would go forward. There's, all, I mean, there's numerous commands to rejoice, to take joy in the Lord, to do things with gladness. And, and so is God interested in your happiness? Yeah. That, that's a piece of the puzzle. But think of this, imagine anyone under your authority, so someone that you have authority to make decisions in their life for them, saying that to you. You want them to do something, and they don't want to do it, because the alternative would make them happy. And they say, but you want me to be happy, right? Well, let's put this in context. You have a child that you're watching, either your own kid or a nephew or a niece or someone else's, and they ask you, hey, can I have, can I have three desserts tonight? They make me happy. You say, no, no, you can't. Oh, come on, but you want me to be happy, right? No, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be healthy. Imagine you have a friend in addiction. For some of us, that might be hard to imagine. And that friend is having a hard time, and they're out of whatever it is that their addiction is. And they're asking, hey, I need you to go pick this up for me and bring it to me. I just, I can't even roll out of bed. I need you to bring me my fix, whatever it is. Drugs, alcohol, food. If you really love me, you'd want me to be happy to have this, right? I, I do love you, and I want you to be whole. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be whole. We do this for ourselves. We, we see temptation. And, and sometimes we even get to a point where we see, I know this is wrong. I know this is something that God would not want me to engage in. But God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And we, we ask that question of ourselves. God desires for us to be holy. And so is happiness a piece of the puzzle? Yeah, but there's other things going on there. See, which do you believe God would desire for us in these situations? Do you think God would want us to have the joy of relaxing on 
a couch and just resting from a long day? Or would he want us to get off the couch and engage with our children when we get home? And to walk with them in their lives? Now, is there anything wrong with resting on the couch and, and finding times of relaxation? No. That's where this one really gets to be a struggle. It's both you can make an argument for to say these are things that can honor God when we do it in the right heart. But God, you want me to be happy, and I need rest right now. But your kids need you right now. What do you think God would desire for us? God, when I look at those pictures online, when I flip through that magazine, when I go to that person's house and do things with them that are reserved only for my spouse, I'm happy. I enjoy it. It's fun. Anyone who says that sin isn't fun isn't doing it right. That's why it's tempting. There's some kind of fix. Now, is it a false joy? Is it a false pleasure? Yeah, because it doesn't last and it leaves us worse than when we entered in. We say, you want me to be happy, don't you? Or do you think God would want us to fight that battle and go through that struggle of fighting for purity? Struggling to, to, to choose to steer clear of those things. Struggling through having to confess and, and repent when we do choose sin over God. What do you believe God desires for us? Do you believe God wants you to have the relief that would come from giving up on a relationship? Do you think God would want you to have the relief and the rest that come from giving up on a marriage? If you know someone who's struggling in a marriage and they're saying, you know what, we're just going to separate for a while. My humble opinion, feel free to disagree, but my humble opinion, advise them not to. Because when you separate for a moment, what does that do? It removes the initial strain and battle of doing life together each and every day. And so then in the weeks ahead, hey, things are going great. How's your spouse? Well, I don't know. They're going great because they stepped away from the problems. And there's relief from that. Oh, God wants me to be happy, right? He doesn't want me to be living in a in a home where there's conflict all the time. No, he doesn't. That's why he gives us ways to work through that conflict. When we trust in him, when we build our marriage, our lives, and our families in him. And so do you think God wants us to have the relief that comes through giving up on a challenging marriage or a relationship? Or do you think God wants us to work hard to live in a covenant, a promise with our spouse? To stand shoulder to shoulder with our friends in other relationships? So it really comes down to, do we believe in the word of God, the power of God, the love of God to work in our lives? If you're not sure, look at your response. When you see the word of God, look at how you respond to it. When our belief and our action doesn't align, there's two things we need to do. The first one, we, we might need to repent. When our beliefs and our actions don't match up, when we say, I believe God will call me to this, but I'm going over here and doing this. Either we need to repent because we're just flat out in sin or we're lying to ourselves or we're being lazy about our action. We believe the right things, but we're not doing anything about it. And then we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged by those who have gone before. Genesis 22, 3, I got this for you, no problem. Sorry, you got it. Uh, Genesis 22, 3 through 5. 
so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him. So this is right after God says, I want you to go sacrifice your son. He gets up in the morning, he rises, gets ready, he takes some servants and his son, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And so as we look at Abraham and how he obeys God, even in the midst of this huge ask, we can be encouraged by that. Abraham believed God, God's promise and he believed his word, his command on his life, so he acted upon them. He didn't put it off, but he rose the next morning and he set off. See, his belief in the word of God overcame any procrastination in his action. So, so what are you struggling to accomplish? If there's something that you're having a hard time getting motivated to go and do, one of your possible ch- challenges might be in what you believe about God's heart in the matter. If you've been procrastinating forgiveness, do you really understand and believe God's heart towards forgiveness? Do you believe that God has already offered the person you're having a hard time forgiveness, that God has already offered them forgiveness? And when we understand that and believe that, it helps us to then take action on that. Do you put off showing compassion to others? Well, if we truly believe and understand God's love for others, that would motivate us to not procrastinate, but to show God's love through compassion. Are you putting off being generous by giving to where you see a need? Are you procrastinating in that? Are you dragging your feet? Well, we know how God gave, how God gives sacrificially. That would help us to be motivated in that. Do you put off stepping out in faith? Well, we know that God provides. We know that God is present in our life. We can be, motivated, we can be encouraged to go and, and do today what we believe God's calling us to do. If you still want to procrastinate, after all is said and done, after we know who God is, after we, we believe his word and we want to go and do it, if you're still tempted to procrastinate, we can do it. That's okay. I'll even do it with you. We'll just do it tomorrow, okay? You can explain that to your neighbor. Verse 5. Uh, so when he departed from his servants, he says to them, look, look here at the end, he says, uh, stay here, we're going to go worship, and we'll come again to you. See, we're starting to see Abraham's understanding of God. We're starting to see what Abraham believed about God. This is actually uh, confirmed in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. Uh, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he, he, referring to Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You begin to see that, that Abraham, he didn't know how, but he fully expected to return to his servants with his son. We're going to go worship God. Me and this son of promise that God is calling me to give up. He didn't obviously share that part because, you know, <laughs> uh, me and this, my son, we're going to go worship God and we're going to come back. Because he believed that God had the power, to, even if he went all the way to sacrifice the son of promise, that God had the power and ability to raise him from the dead, to bring him back. That's because he knew God. He knew the heart of his God. You know, growing up, I, I was, for the longest time, I, I was the youngest cousin in, in a big family. My, um, on my dad's side, there's seven kids, and uh, one, of, one of the older aunts and uncles uh, had six kids, and you know, they were already on, you know, married and having kids before I was even, you know, um, out of high school. And uh, for a while there, I was the youngest. You know, there's not two other cousins younger than me, but 
uh, for a long time. I, I was the youngest. And so we go to family functions up in Minnesota, and I knew, okay, that's my uncle, that's my aunt, that's my cousin. I think that's my cousin's husband or wife, or I think that's my second cousin. You know, the further down the line you went, I, you know, it wasn't, I, I didn't spend um, much time with them each year. We only got a few times up there to go see them. But I could tell you, I, I knew who my uncle or who my aunt was. Uh, a few years ago, my, my grandfather passed away, and so we went up to the farm in Minnesota, and um, I'm not sure what was different about this time, but for whatever reason, with a few of my aunts and uncles, I got some time with them. I, I remember walking with my Aunt Phyllis around um, my uncle's farm, just going out through the fields and just going for a walk and talking about all kinds of things, talking about my grandpa, talking about life, talking about faith. And I got to see her heart from God, for, for God for the first time. What a beautiful, exciting moment that was. Oh, you, you, you love God? You know about Jesus? Like, like personally, like, you, you, you excited about this stuff? I got to have a, a similar conversation with my uncle. Hey, man, you, you're connected in at your church and you're serving as one of the elders there? I, I didn't know that. I went from knowing that that was my aunt and uncle to knowing my aunt and my uncle. And as I got to know them, I got to know their heart. And I got to be in, in a, a greater relationship with them. Why, why do I share that? Well, the more we know God, the more we're equipped to live for him. Because the more we know his heart, there's all kinds of ways that we can come to know God. One of them is through corporate worship. That may not be the first one that comes to mind for you. We think of, okay, we know God through reading his word. We know God through Bible studies. And yes, that's all true. But we can also know God when we worship together corporately. That's actually one of the reasons that we do this every Sunday morning because we proclaim with the lyrics that we sing, we proclaim God's glory, statements of truth as to who he is, and then we respond in praising him. We actually see in our story that as Abraham and Isaac are growing up to the mountainside, that they're going to worship God. Genesis 22, 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they, both, uh, then, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Isaac is familiar with the routine. We bring wood, we got fire, the knife. There should be, there should be an offering. We should have had a, a lamb that we'd be bringing with us, and then we would kill that lamb and put that lamb on, on the altar, and we'd, that would be the burnt offering to God. And so he realizes that something is missing. Again, we see Abraham's heart. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. See, Abraham, I think, honestly replies here. God will provide. In that statement of God will reply, what will provide is not only honesty, but a heart of hopefulness. And not kind of the hopefulness where we're just wishing upon something, but where he's expecting God to be God. He's expecting God to come through on what he said he would do even though he, doesn't, he can't see how it's going to happen. He knows God is able, but he also sees that he's called him to go and sacrifice his son. When God calls us to something, he will equip us to accomplish it. He will provide. And that's what Abraham knew. So we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. And you can say, Steve, that's scary stuff. That means I've I got I to gotta know how to share my faith. i got to know how to talk to people about Jesus. I have a hard time talking to my spouse about God. You know, I don't know how to do that. Is, that. is that what the professionals are for? 
And we're, we're on this boat together. We're all called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're all called to engage in our community, sharing the good news of Jesus, the hope that we have in him. I said, but Steve, I, I'm not ready for that. Well, one, keep coming on Sundays. We're offering some things this year as well outside of Sunday mornings to help train us up and raise us up to be able to, to more effectively share our faith, to more effectively talk about the hope that we have in Jesus and to engage our community with the good news of the gospel. But we can also trust that God will provide, that he will provide. If he's called us to do something, he's going to equip us to do it. Genesis 22, 9 through 12, we see just that. I'm sorry, 9 through 14. When they came to the place in which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there <coughs> and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I, I, we're not going to get into this this morning, but I've always wondered what that scene was like. Did he have to sneak up on Isaac, or was it just kind of a, hey, son, come here, and you know, Isaac just kind of inquisitive, God, Dad, Dad, what's going on here? There's different things you can look into. We don't really know how old Isaac was. Uh, some people think, because it says boy and whatnot, that he was really young. Uh, but actually, as you dig in a little more to some of the other signs, you can see it's very possible, very likely, that he was in his mid-20s, even a little older possibly, that he was able to carry the wood for this offering um, you know, to the mountain and up upon it. And so I, I don't get the impression this is some weak child, but that this is a young man who then is being bound by his father. And so again, Scripture doesn't unpack what that scene was like, but I'm just, I try to put myself there and imagine what this took for them to, to live out what God had called them to do. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, like an expectant father watching over their children who's about to do something they don't want them to do, you say their name more than once. Steve, Steve, no, no. Abraham, Abraham, insert your name here, insert your name here. And he said, here I am. Almost as if he was waiting for that. Here I am. What's the new plan? Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, Isaac was an innocent sacrifice who was offered up to God, and he was rescued when God provided this alternate sacrifice. So when we look at the story of Isaac in, in, in this situation, we see that Jesus is a true and better Isaac. That Jesus is an innocent sacrifice offered up to God. That his death on the cross was something that he did not deserve because he had lived a perfect and sinless life. Yet he offered himself up as a sacrifice so that his death on the cross would pay the price for our sins when we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. Like Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice up the mountainside, Jesus carried his cross, his wooden cross, up the hill to Golgotha. Like Isaac, who was the son of promise, Jesus is the son who was promised, this Messiah, the Savior. Like Isaac, we receive him back from the dead. We receive Jesus back from the dead, and that's what we celebrate at Easter, the risen Lord, that the grave was not powerful enough to hold him. Like Isaac, for Abraham, 
Everything is found in the Son. And so after God provides a new sacrifice, we see he reminds Abraham of his promise. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. This ends our story. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God's affirming the promises he's made. He's saying there's a true and better life that is found in knowing me. And for us here today, that's possible through knowing Jesus. So let's do all that we can. Let's give up anything that God would ask us to give up. To sacrifice whatever time, energy, resources to go and do the work that God is calling us to do. To take the steps that God is calling you to take in your life. I know that's different for all of us. For some, the step God's calling you to take is just to trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. For others, there's a, a, a huge life change that God's been putting on your heart that you've been saying, no, no, no. Maybe today's the day you say, God, I believe you, even though I don't see how it could work out. Let's trust in God, believe He is who He says He is, and sacrifice our all to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much for who you are. We thank you for the story of Abraham and Isaac. We thank you how it illustrates a life of sacrifice, Father. You call us to, to lose our life, Father. To daily pick up our cross and follow you. That we wouldn't just live for you in death, Father, but in life we would live for you. We would sacrifice our lives so that it is for you that we live. It is for you that we do the things that we do. It is for you that we engage in relationships the way that we do and care for others the way that we do, and work hard the way that we do, all because of who you are and what you ask of us, Father. Help us to first know that, to know you, to know what you ask of us. Make that clear in our lives, Father, if it isn't. And then help us to obey, Father, to believe your word like Abraham believed you, to believe in your power and your love like Abraham believed in your power and your love, to believe in your promise like Abraham believed in your promise. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a true and better Isaac, that you are a sacrifice that pays the price for our sin. And so we surrender our lives here this morning to you. All God's people said, amen.